0: Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, question for the children who are here. I wonder if you've ever received a really fantastic present. I can remember a few in my time, most of them revolve around the theme of Lego. I wonder if you've ever received a fantastic present. And you take that present and you go and you play with that present. You play with it for a while because you love it so much. And then only a few hours later, it might dawn on you that, you know what, you've got a fantastic gift there, but you've also got someone pretty fantastic in your life who gave you that gift. And it's then that you actually come to your parents or your grandparents or whoever it was, and you you say thank you to them for the gift, Or maybe it can be, as I'm sure happened to me many a time, you're just so enraptured with the present that you say a quick thank you and you don't even think about the giver of the gift and you just go and play with the gift itself. You know, this Thanksgiving, we've got a whole lot to be thankful for because God has given us a whole lot of gifts. Like we can look at our life and I'm sure we can see a multitude of blessings that God has poured out on us and put in our lives. And sometimes we can be so enraptured with the, with the gifts that we forget the giver. And we forget that, yes, the gifts are beautiful, but these all come to us from a beautiful God, from a loving God, from a lovely God who has a real deep heart of love for us. Now, passage that we're looking at today, it, it gives us a picture of, of the giver. It gives us a picture of God, and it gives us a picture of His heart for His people. In particular, it gives us a picture of the heart of patient love that God has. Because you see, for the Israelites at this point in history, They really didn't have a whole lot to be thankful for. Uh, They were living in caves. They were chased out of their homes. Uh, They'd plant their fields, and these Midianites would come for for seven years in a row. We read that whenever the Israelites planted crops, uh, it was the holiday season. For the people of the East, they'd come to their favorite campground and they would come there every year because at that campground there would be free food for the taking, free animals for the taking, and so they'd cross the Jordan River and come into Israel, set up their tents there, and run havoc in the land, chasing the Israelites out. It wasn't all that much to be thankful for. And we do know that it's all the Israelites' fault that this was happening because, as we read in verse 1, they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And by rebelling against God, they had brought this terrible situation upon themselves. But while they didn't have many gifts to be thankful for, we see in this passage that they actually had a whole lot to be thankful for because they had God. And God was in relationship with them. And God is a God of immense patience and love. And here we see God's character just just shining out, right? working through the book of Judges in Langley at the moment. And it's one of my favorite things about this sermon series is that we see God's heart for his people. In the Barak and Deborah story, we see God's heart of love as a, as a warrior who fights for his people. But here in this account, we see God's patience, His immense patience with His people. And that's the theme that I'd like to trace through Judges six with you today: God's patient love for His people. We're going to see four points. First going to look at the prophet's announcement, and we're going to look at the angel's appointment, and we're going to look at God's assignment. And finally, Gideon's assurance. And so if there's anyone who likes to jot down the points, I'll repeat that again. And please don't worry. The reason I'm not late is not because this four-point sermon took so long in Langley that I had to rush down here afterwards. It's still normal length. God's patient love for his people. See, the prophet's announcement, the angel's appointment, Yahweh's assignment, and finally, Gideon's assurance. Begin with the prophet's announcement. We see God's patient love for his people in the prophet that he sends them. Here in this account of of Judges, we read a very familiar cycle. The Israelites rebel against God. Because of that, God puts them in a system of ruin. After that, God rescues them, and then there is a period of rest. And so far in the book of Judges, there's been a cycle that continues through. The Israelites rebel, then there's ruin, and God immediately will rescue His people when they cry out for help. The people cry out, God rescues. Instantly, just like that. But here, in this account, we see something different. We see that God doesn't actually rescue His people right away. He sends a prophet. Now, this is something new. The people cry out, God doesn't rescue. The people cry out, He sends a prophet. We see here that God is getting a little bit frustrated. He's getting a little bit tired of His people. He's getting a little bit sick of His people crying out for rescue, and they are not repentant. And you may say, hey, how can we be sure that the Israelites weren't repentant when they cried out to God? You just have to look at what the people of Ophrah did when Gideon chopped down their altar to Baal. Repentant people would say, hooray, like Gideon has chopped down this altar. That's fantastic. We want Baal gone. We want to worship God. Unrepentant people would do what they did and say, let's put this guy to death for chopping down Baal's altar. They weren't repentant. They were just crying out to God in their misery. And so far, whenever they've called out for rescue, God in His great compassion has rescued them. But now, He sends a prophet to His people. You may ask the question, where is the the patient love in this if God is starting to get a little bit frustrated with His people? And the answer is that What God is doing when he sends his prophets is uh, patiently reinterpreting the Israelites' circumstances. You see, the Israelites had no idea why it was that the Midianites were oppressing them. We see this in Gideon's response to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon in verse 12 and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response is summarized in in five words, which is, the Lord has forsaken us. They think that they are in the situation in which they are in with Midianites running around all over Israel because The Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And what this prophet is doing is reinterpreting the Israelites' situation so that they can see that the reason why there are Midianites in Israel is not because God has forsaken them, but because they have forsaken God. And that's exactly what the prophet says. The prophet comes to the Israelite people and says, I rescued you. I gave you a requirement that you should not worship the gods of this land, but you have rebelled against me. And the patience there is that God comes to his people with his word rather than coming with his judgment. And something beautiful for us today as well. We are a people... We have lived a life of rebellion. Maybe some of you can look back in your life and you see a period of rebellion there against God that's extended for maybe quite a long period of time. And yet, in coming to us as, as rebellious people, God doesn't come to us with judgment that we deserve, but instead He comes with this message of His, his Word. I have not forsaken you, but you have forsaken me. And now, here, I come with a message of reconciliation. Think of 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul is preaching to the Corinthians and says, God has come into this world and He is seeking to be reconciled to you. It's amazing, patient love that God seeks to be reconciled to a rebellious people. It is is word that comes to each of us today. Not judgment, but his word, come to me. So we see God's impatience in, in the prophet's announcement. We also see this patience even more clearly in the angel's appointments. Because after sending a prophet, God then sends his angel, who appoints a deliverer for his people. You may have realized when we were reading through what the prophet was saying that he sort of leaves his message half set. He comes to the people and he he tells them of what God has done. He tells them of what they have done. You have not obeyed my voice. But then he stops there and he doesn't tell us anything about what's going to happen next. And we'd expect the, uh, the prophet to say something like, you have not obeyed my voice, therefore... I'll judge you. Or, therefore, I'm not going to do anything until you repent. But instead, we receive this this shock that the next thing we read is the angel of the Lord is there. And God is appointing a deliverer for his people. It's again the unfathomable depth of God's love and his patience with his people. In the prophet Hosea. He's going to cry out like hundreds of years later. After hundreds of years of, of rebellion from God's people, he's going to cry out the, 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 very, the very words of God that come from the very heart of God. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And we see this immense compassion, this warm and tender heart of God for His people in sending the angel to once again deliver an undeserving people. And so we see the immense, of God, the immense patience of God before His people. What's more than that, we also see that God is patient with the deliverer that he gives to his people. Because the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press. He's concerned that the Midianites are going to be coming every, any day now and uh, worried that they would take the wheat off them. So he's doing it in hiding. The angel comes to Gideon and calls him to be the deliverer of God's people. Now, we ask the question, who is Gideon? When we look at Gideon, we should see just a a normal Israelite person. There's nothing special about Gideon. The angel calls him a mighty man of valor. but We know that he was quite fearful. He had a lot of potential, which we see later in the Gideon account when he leads God's people. But at this point, he was scared. He had a little bit of power at least. He could call up ten servants to tear down an altar. But as he says, he's the least in his father's house, the youngest in his family, and he's not from a strong tribe either. What's more, when we look at Gideon, we should see that there's nothing spiritually that sets him apart from the rest of the Israelites. God doesn't look around in Israel for someone who actually understands what's going on. He doesn't seek to find someone who who understands that the reason why the Midianites are oppressing the Israelites is because the Israelites have forsaken God. Instead, he finds a a regular Israelite who's just as confused as the rest of them as to why they're in the situation they're in. Gideon, like all of the other Israelites, thinks that the Lord is the one who has forsaken his people. And so God calls this man to be his judge, to be his deliverer. And when we look at the way that God deals with Gideon, again we see God's patience, And again, we see his great heart of love because he very patiently deals with Gideon. You see, he calls Gideon to this task and Gideon asks him a a million questions. He asks questions starting with with why. He asks questions of where. He asks questions of, of how. The angel of the Lord gives the perfectly assuring answer, Gideon, don't worry, I am with you. You may wonder how an answer of I am with you would explain a why, where, or a how. But it's the answer that God often gives to his people. Often he doesn't tell us why. Often he doesn't tell us how, often he doesn't tell us where, but one thing that he does assure his troubled, anxious, and doubting people is that he will be with us. It's the promise that he gave to Moses when he called Moses uh, back at the burning bush. It's the promise that he gave to Joshua when Joshua was called to lead God's people. And it's the promise that Jesus also gives to us. The very last words that he tells us in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the ultimate comfort for people who are anxious and for people who have questions. It's the ultimate comfort for you and me, that we will not be left alone, but that God is with us. It's the ultimate thing we need to know to step out in trust, to do what God calls us. And God doesn't only show his patience to Gideon by giving him the answer that he needs to his questions, but he also patiently reveals his identity to Gideon. You see, Gideon, he's had a bit of a big day. He's been threshing some wheat in a wine press and All of a sudden, he sees a man sitting under a tree. He speaks with the man, and as he's speaking with this man, he has this dawning realization that this man isn't an actual man, that this is God himself. It's his hypothesis. that He's not speaking with a person, but he's speaking with God. But Gideon is a cautious sort of fellow and does not want to jump into conclusions, so he wants to test his hypothesis. He wants to make sure that he's actually talking with God, and so he asks God for a sign. The sign that he, he, his, his concocting takes the form of a massive meal. Maybe that's lost on us as we read through this account, but this meal consists of one whole goat, and unleavened cakes made out of an ephah of flour. An ephah of flour is is 22 liters of flour. I asked my wife how much flour we go through in our family. Uh, She says we go through five liters in a month. So this is an awful lot of flour. Um, Take our family, you do the maths, which isn't my strong suit. What, over four months to... To go through that amount. It's this, it's this massive meal that he concocts, that he, that he makes for, for the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord waits patiently while he makes this meal. And for Gideon, this is a sign, because he's going to bring this meal to this person. And if this person sits down and tucks into it and starts to eat it, he knows, just another guy, just another hungry guy who wants a meal. But if this person does something different with this meal. He knows that he is a different type of person. And the angel of the Lord does not let Gideon down. Uh, he tells Gideon to present this meal like an offering. Then he touches it with his stick. Fire comes up, consumes it, and he disappears. Now, Gideon's doubts um, are, are resolved. The Lord has clearly shown his identity to Gideon, but that leaves Gideon with another problem, and that problem is that he realizes that he's seen God and he might die. A little bit of an irrational fear of death here because God has just called him to be his deliverer, and yet if he dies, there's no way he's going to deliver God's people and carry out the um, task that God has given him. But, but that's beside the point. It's actually somewhat... Um, Funny in the Samson account that Samson's mom and dad see the angel of God and they have that exact same fear that Samson's dad says, oh no, we've seen the angel of the Lord, we're going to die now. And Samson's mom's like, just relax, man. He's told us we're going to have a baby and if we die, we're not going to have a baby. We're going to be all right. But here, there's no woman to speak sense. Instead, God himself comes to Gideon in his anxiety, in his fear, and in his worry and says to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. What I'd like us to see here in this account of the angel appearing to Gideon is that God is just so patient with Gideon. God just answers all of his anxieties. The angel comes and the angel leaves, but God makes sure that when he leaves, Gideon has no reason to fear, no reason to be anxious, and every single reason to go forward in trust. God is immensely patient with his doubting people. It's a theme that we'll return to when Gideon asks God for that jewel sign of the fleece. And so, what we've seen so far in, in this passage is that Israel has an immensely loving and immensely patient God, who is our God as well. But in this passage, God also makes something else clear. He makes it crystal clear that His mercy, His patience, His love, and His kindness is intended to lead to repentance. God is merciful and abounding in steadfast love, but he hates sin. And there is no appealing to the mercy of God as an excuse for your sin. There's no way of saying, you know what, I am going to sin, and then I'm going to just ask God for forgiveness because my God loves to forgive. God is merciful, but He is deadly serious in His call for repentance. And we see this in His assignment to Gideon. Yahweh comes with an assignment for Gideon because now there's a problem in this little town of Ophrah. the problem is that there are two altars in this town. Gideon has just built an altar, and the altar is called The Lord is Peace. But there's another altar in town, and that is an altar to Baal with an Asherah pole next to it. There's a problem because you can't have those two altars. You can't have the Lord as peace while there is still an altar to Baal. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one can serve Baal and God. There is no way that God can be peace while his people are still worshipping other gods. And so while in his patience God comes to his people, he also demands that they turn around and repent and dedicate their lives to him alone. And so Yahweh comes with his first assignment to Gideon. It's a command to pull down the altar of Baal and replace it with an altar to Yahweh. Gideon's terrified. I think you would be afraid as well. But he listens to God and that's what's important. He's trembling and he's afraid. He goes at night and pulls down the altar to Baal. There's something here for us as well. Gideon in Hebrews is called a man of faith. He appears with the heroes of faith. We look at him and he is a man who is really afraid to carry out God's task for him. But what's important is not how scared he is. What's important is not how weak his faith is, but that he does step out in faith and that he does trust in God and that he does act. And so for us as well, faith isn't... Being a bold person, a courageous person, but as being someone who listens to God. And Gideon he is saved by his dad telling the townspeople to read Psalm 115. If Baal is a god, Baal's going to be able to contend for himself. So none of you have to kill Gideon. If Baal really is a god, he'll get his own back. You don't have to worry about that. And the townspeople listen to Gideon's dad and Gideon is let off. Now the altar to Baal has been removed and replaced by an altar to Yahweh. And it's important for us to realize that when God calls Gideon, Gideon's first battle is not against Midian, but his first battle is against Baal, which is shown in the name that's given Gideon of Jeroboam. Let Baal contend. And so we see that while God is filled with an immense love and patience, he's completely and utterly serious about us putting away sin and serving him. And Augustine was one of the great church fathers. Um, He lived a life of sexual immorality before becoming a Christian. And he tells us how when he was uh, just converted, he prayed to God and and he prayed to God, God, please grant me chastity, but not yet. Still delighted in his sin. Still didn't want to give it up. You see, that will never do with God. God demands our heart. And so having fought against Baal, it's time for God to fight against the Midianites. Shortly after the altar of Baal was chopped down, it's time for the Midianite holiday. And off they were to the, to the same campground as usual. They crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But this year there's something different. God was with his people you now. Now, mine should go back, actually, to the beginning of the book of Judges, where we read in the very first judge, um, Othniel, that God's spirit came upon Othniel, and Othniel went out to war. Here again, we read that God's spirit clothed Gideon. But unlike Othniel, Gideon doesn't go straight to war Because Gideon is once again anxious and Gideon is once again fearful and Gideon needs assurance. And once again, we see the patient love of God. See, Gideon asks God for a sign that God will give him the victory. He lays a fleece out on the floor. He says, God, make the fleece wet, but the floor dry. That will assure me that I get victory. God does that. But it's still not enough. He asks God another time, "Uh, please make the fleece dry and the floor wet, and then I'm going to be sure. So we see here the weakness of of Gideon's faith. Twice Gideon says in these short verses when he's speaking to God, he says, as you have said. He knows that God has promised victory that God is the one whose yes is yes and whose no is no, but that's not enough for Gideon. He needs he needs an extra sign. He knows that he is pushing things to the limit. He knows that he's standing on the thin ice because he says to God, please do not be angry. Let not your anger burn against me. But much more than Gideon's weak faith, we should see the patience of God. Because not once in this account do we read of God being angry or God being impatient or God being frustrated or God being at his wit's end. But instead, we just see God patiently giving Gideon what he needs. Even more than that, in chapter 7, we'll see that God, off his own back, gives Gideon another sign says, Gideon, if you are afraid, go down to the camp. Don't know if you're scared or not. So Gideon, of course, is going to be scared. But if you're afraid, you can go down. There's another sign waiting for you. And Gideon goes down and he's, and he's strengthened in his resolve. See how God is a patient, loving God with a weak people like us. See, I think we can be a little bit harsh on Gideon. We can be much harsher than God is on him. But my concern for you isn't that you're harsh on Gideon and that you beat him up because Gideon's long since gone. My concern is that as God's people, you're actually harsh on yourself and you look at yourself in the weakness of your faith. And in your struggles and in your doubts and you beat yourself up and you think, I'm not good enough. How does God look at me? And you take that image of you looking at yourself and you put that on God and you think God would look at you in the same way as you look on yourself as someone who is just not good enough, who has to get it all together and then come back to him. But the reality is that God is the exact opposite of that. He is patient. He is patient. He is patient to a weaker people of weak faith. How do we know that God is patient? We know that he is patient with us in the weakness of our faith because of something that's happening right now in Langley, actually. Right now in Langley, they're having Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is simply a sign that God gives to us in the weakness of our faith to strengthen our faith. He has said, you are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. And we know that his yes is yes and his no is no, and that should be enough for us. But often it isn't, and so he gives us a sign that we can see. He gives us bread and wine that we can taste so that our faith can also be strengthened. in our weakness, in our confusion, in our doubting and in our questioning, God does not push us away, but he calls us closer to him with patient love. And so this Thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so many gifts that we have received from God. But even more than that, We can be thankful that we have such a great giver, that grace is your love and boundless your compassion, and slow is your wrath in dealing with transgression. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your character. We thank you for who you are.